0: Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Benjamin Ensor. In today's episode, we're going to be asking, what's going so right in Latin American fintech? According to the Financial Times, 2021 saw venture capital firms invest $15.3 billion into Latin American firms, triple the funding raised in 2020. A staggering 75% of that investment went into fintech, prop tech, and e-commerce. Newbank Latin America's largest fintech raised $1.15 billion in the region's biggest ever deal and then floated on the NYSE at a valuation of $40 billion. There was also a record number of investment rounds across the entire region in 2021, which saw Uruguay rise 46 places into the global top 20 of the global fintech index, as well as Argentina's largest ever funding round. So the questions are, how did Latin American fintech get to this point Is everything really as successful as it seems? And what comes next for um, these huge fintech markets? So let's get started. As always, I'm not alone, but I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on all things LATAM fintech. So first of all, making his fintech insider debut direct from Sao Paulo, I'm joined by my new 11FS colleague, Maurizio Magalti, crypto at 11FS. Welcome to the show, Maurizio. Please, can you give our listeners a little bit of background on you and your role here at 11FS?
1: Hi, Benj. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I just recently joined 11FS as the new crypto resident nerd. So uh, my background is mostly uh, financial services across Latin America. I've worked in uh, large banks, small banks, fintechs. And I also do a number of uh, crypto events on the side, mentorship to startups, So we felt that it was good to merge all of that into what we do here at 11FS, so super happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Super excited. Also making their FinTech Insider debut, we are joined by Jack Dougal, Chief Product Officer at NewBank. Thank you so much for being here, Jack. Our listeners are probably pretty familiar with with NewBank, but can you just give us a quick overview of of NewBank and your role, please?
2: Sure, Uh, thanks thanks so much for having me. Newbank, I'm sure people are, are quite familiar with uh, who, who listen to this podcast, but Nubank is uh, a neobank, the largest neobank in Brazil and in Latin America. Uh, latest count, we had 48 million customers, about three quarters of which are active in any given month and um we cover we provide services uh in what we call all five of the financial seasons so spending and saving and borrowing and uh investing as well as what we call protecting our insurance business which we just launched my role is as as you mentioned is chief product officer i've been with new bank now for just over two years and uh uh, I'm uh, chartered with working with the rest of the team in thinking through what is our product roadmap and what new offerings we can put out there for our for our growing customer base.
0: Fantastic, welcome! And I love that season's um, way of thinking about your finances. I think I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Okay. And then returning to FinTech Insider, we have uh, Ximena Alaman, co-founder of uh, Prometeo. And I'm sure I've mispronounced those. Sorry. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Can you remind our audience about Prometeo and where you operate, please?
3: No, you're doing a fantastic job pronouncing that, <laughs> which is quite Spanish, Prometeo. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm, I'm glad to be here. And Prometeo is the largest open banking platform in Latin America. We are providing a single point of access to banking across the region through 100 APIs from 35 financial institutions in 10 countries of LATAM. And trying to build swift and efficient financial oper- operations for our customers, mostly corporates and banks.
0: Wonderful. Thank you and welcome back. And last but not least, it's another FinTech Insider return for Bruno Diniz, managing partner of Spire LM. Welcome back, Bruno. Um, can you give uh, our audience a brief introduction to Spire LM, please?
4: Definitely, yeah. I'm uh, well, glad to be back here uh, and to spoke a little bit about uh, FinTech in Latin. But my company is basically an a fin- a, a innovation consultancy firm. We focus on helping uh, large corporations into um, innovation, so basically strategy uh, regarding innovation. And also we uh, advise uh, some governmental bodies um, internationally and locally, so basically, um, different um, governments um, and, and also their trade uh, departments uh, are advised by us in regarding to financial innovation as well. So glad to be back here, uh, and and I also uh, I'm, I'm also an, an author and a, and a teacher in the fintech segment here in Brazil, um, and also uh, I direct here locally uh, FData, which is the Financial Data and Technology Association for Latin America. So. Pretty much involved also in um, into open banking aspects and implementation.
0: Fantastic! Well, it's great to have you all here. So let's let's dive in. So let's let's start by looking at the boom over the last uh, twelve months uh, across Latin America. Um, why has why has fintech done so well um, over the, over the last twelve months in Latin America? What's what's really led led to this boom? Who, who'd like to
3: start? Okay, I can start. <laughs> I, I I won't be shy. I'll break the ice. Uh, so I think that uh, there's both uh, a good mix between uh, the size of the opportunity and uh, the quality of the execution. Um, I think that uh, perhaps uh, three years ago, which we were just talking about um, the opportunity, you know, like, of the transactions in Latam are cash cash based. Uh, Between 50 and 70% of the population in each country of Latin America is unbanked. 90% of the small and medium businesses uh, don't get access to any credit or funding. Uh, So I think that there was such an enormous space for disruption in the financial sector uh, that the opportunity was huge and there was plenty of. of space to champagne, you know, and make something out of it. And I think that that was at, at the beginning what attracted uh, the attention of international investors. And I think that right now what we're seeing is the path of execution, you know, like many great entrepreneurs jumping into an arena and building great businesses, you know, like as you mentioned, of course, here, Newbank, um, But you have, like, examples all across Latin America. Uh, of course, I'm a big fan of the local and what they have done here in Uruguay. Of course, Prometeo. Uh, and then you have Cushki in Ecuador, and you have Walla in Argentina, and a lot of companies in Mexico. So I think that, uh, for me, it's the mix between the opportunity and execution.
0: Bruno, do you, do you agree with that, or do you have a different view? Yeah, definitely. I think Simena uh, is
4: certainly is, is right uh, in, in her view. And and I would also add to that the, the evolution of the regulatory landscape. I believe that we in different countries and, and Brazil, especially, which we, uh, I'm based in, in Sao Paulo, uh, I think there is a, a huge evolution on, on that. I think that it also set the ground to uh, more players to to be, uh, you know, to have a clear view of, of what is possible, what is not possible, because in many cases, uh, a regulation might be hindering uh, the evolution of fintech in some places. Uh, and Bra- Brazil, I think, got it right, Mexico got it right, uh, in, in a certain point as well. Um, there are other countries that are evolving in this aspect, but uh, pretty much. I believe the investment in the region is drive, driven by, uh, you know, the, the size of opportunity, as shimena told, and how, uh, you know, how much investment we're going to see in each region. It's also depend on, on, on regulatory factors. And, and that's, I think, it's a very important point in the, in, in the
0: equation as well. Jack, uh, NewBank operates, obviously, in, in Brazil, but also in, in Mexico, Colombia, and Argentina, I think. Um, have you seen sort of similar patterns of adoption of fintech and excitement about fintech in the, in the different markets? I mean, obviously, they're, they're very diverse. Are you, you seeing similar patterns across them or different trends?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, when we we launched in Mexico almost exactly two years ago, and at the time, it was right, right after I had, I had joined, and at the time... We didn't know really what to expect. We didn't know if the the model we had built in Brazil was exportable, and it was a big question actually for for many people about whether New Bank was a Brazilian phenomenon or or really could 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 travel. And uh, we have been uh, really pleased with the degree of traction that we've seen in Mexico and now increasingly in Colombia, which is our, the third market in which we operate. Um, and I think there's, there's a few reasons for that. One of the things and Simena uh, touched on this that I think is true across the region is, as she said, it's, it's a very large market of, uh, of typically middle income countries. So there's, there's a big pool of financial services to, to access, but in general, the market has been underserved, unserved entirely, and certainly poorly served for a long, long time. And so, there's a lot of latent demand. One of the things we talk about at New Bank uh, that I try to emphasize, for example, with the product teams, is 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 by analogy, it is not an accident that Toyota came out of post-war Japan. It is not an accident that Walmart came out of rural Arkansas. The customer needs in those particular cases in the auto industry for small cars in 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 sort of discount retail uh, in starting in the 60s in in, in Midwest and rural uh, U.S. The need was so acute it almost invited someone to innovate on the customer's behalf. We did some research almost two years ago now at New Bank Customer Research, where we found that Brazilians were the most financially anxious people in the world.
0: Really? Wow.
2: And, uh, and that anxiety is driven by lots of things, inequality in the society. Um, obviously, COVID exacerbated all of these trends uh, in that period, in the last couple of years. But that deep financial anxiety we see as an opportunity, um, we see almost as an invitation and an obligation on our part to serve that anxiety. And we think if we do it well, Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, Argentina, the Latin American region can actually show the way for for what is possible anywhere in the world. I I, I sit I'm sitting here today in in the Bay Area, sort of basically in 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 the heart of Silicon Valley. (laughs) Banking doesn't work very well here for me. Um, And so I see no reason why the things we are working on for the Brazilian consumer, the Colombian consumer, the Mexican consumer uh, couldn't work Anywhere in the world, developed markets, uh, developing markets. Uh, I think, I think there's, there's a real opportunity for Latin America to, to lead the way in innovation and in what we call at New Bank uh, fanatical customer service, real intense focus on innovating on the consumer's behalf.
0: I love that point you made about um, sort of Toyota and, and Walmart. I think it's super interesting, Maurizio. What do you think? What do you make of that? Do you think Latin America is going to produce some global champions in, in fintech?
1: Well, I, I think I agree, uh, and I think there's a very specific kind of condition these emerging economies, where there's uh, loads of unbanked. If you can provide intelligent services that they understand, like reading familiarity with their needs, it's easier to have them on board the financial system. So. I think um, that is one aspect. And the second aspect is we're seeing a lot of non-financial services companies bring in financial services as embedded finance. That is also a way to sort of ease in on the anxiety of this unbanked uh, customers. And of course, tap into that in a very familiar setting as to you know your shopping app uh, makes it way easier for you to actually onboard into that and then start to understand other more complex financial services that you can now use, right? So I think it's a, it's a great way to tap into the unbanked population and doing so very smartly by embedding your own services into things that people are used to use. Uh, it's, you know, again, familiarity uh, breeds adoption. So that's, I think, a, a successful path to tread to in the region.
0: You made a really interesting point about sort of embedded finance and the, and the opportunity there and what's already happening uh, in, in, in various different countries in Latin America. What, what are some of the other big themes in Latin America and fintech? What are, what are you seeing grow really strongly? I, I, Maurizio, I'm tempted to start with you because I know your passion for crypto. Uh, <laughs> you know, does, does Latin America get crypto? Are you, seeing, you know, are you seeing investment going into crypto in Latin America?
1: Uh, so my answer would be crypto. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but I think, I think there's an angle to this. It's not just like crypto per se, right? I think there's, as Bruno said, there's a big uh, regulatory incentive um, in the countries uh, for um, innovation in that space. I'm most familiar with Brazil, but I'm seeing a lot of crypto native companies emerge from Argentina. Argentina has a huge Ethereum um, community. Which is so productive. Uruguay has a good number of crypto players, smaller but very active. And there's a very specific characteristic in the Latin speaking, uh, Spanish speaking countries in Latin America is that they're smaller in comparison to Brazil. So every entrepreneur in the region has to think at least regionally to reach out from their countries. It's not like I'm going to build my own startup and be happy to go national because national isn't. 20 million people. It's so much less. So, of course, in Brazil, the entrepreneurs think about going national because it's a massive continental-sized country, but the other countries don't have that footprint. And because also the languages are different, it's not like I'm an Argentinian entrepreneur and say, okay, I'm going to go to Brazil because then now I have a language barrier that I have to cater to. So what we're seeing in crypto, because crypto by, by nature is global and digital, we're seeing a lot of... Um, Business being built with that mindset that just start off digital, start off global. And the region is being very productive at that. Um, So much that we've seen a lot of investment pour in in the space for the major exchanges. Uh, One glaring example is Mercado Bitcoin, which is the largest exchange, crypto exchange in Latin America. They are very close to regulators. They are very close to the education aspect they have an academy of their own to teach uh, crypto to people. So I think uh, crypto is definitely one that I'm seeing not only have a lot of traction in terms of growth, but also investment and the type of business that are being built are naturally global and digital. So I think that's another sort of wealth avenue for the region in that aspect.
0: Got it. Um, I'm not quite sure who come to you next time, um, maybe, maybe Bruno. Did you see any other themes? You, you talked about the regulatory boost to, to fintech. Any other fit themes that have come through strongly in the past year?
4: Definitely. Um, and, and adding to, to some of, uh, of the things that Mauricio said, I believe that, that banking as a service is something that grew largely in, in, in last year. Uh, I, I believe that we have still a, a, a very interesting push in, into um, banking as a service. Uh, and another, another thing that I also believe for the region is crypto as a service as the second like phase of it, because we, we start seeing like these, uh, you know, closing the gap between the traditional market and the crypto market. We already have ETFs, uh, for example, here in Brazil that, that that leads to exposure in crypto. We have like uh, uh, Mercado Libre in, in, in the region that already like embedded, uh, you know, crypto functionalities inside of it. Uh, even mobility players like 99, which is DD, the the, uh, the Chinese company that here in Brazil is under the brand 99, they also uh, got the opportunity for, for for clients to buy crypto. It's just like a movement that we are seeing worldwide. There are lots of, of players uh, in this ma- this market, like Paxos, like uh, MoonPay. Um, so I I would say that uh, you know banking as a service will still keep growing. Many retailers tapping into the, that. Embedding uh, different financial uh, services and products to their clients, uh, and now you know as a second step and as an evolution of that, uh, the crypto as a service as this market get uh, like more, more, more close um, to each other. So I, I believe that that would be a, a great thing.
0: Okay, Jimena, come in. <laughs>
3: Uh, I think that uh, on top of uh, what Mauricio and Bruno addressed, uh, I think that uh, infrastructure uh, has been a, a big play during the last year. Um, I think that uh, something that is related to what Chag was mentioning um, is that, in and, and it's so concrete for users, you know, like across Latin America, uh, using financial services, it's, it's like a pain for, for the final user. And I think that... That uh, implies that Your experience with money is usually so very difficult, and it's not just difficult to earn the money, but just to access the money, you know, to move the money, uh, to invest the money, to save the money. (laughs) It's just so like the whole experience around money. It's so so difficult and hard. Um, So I think that what fintech is trying to build is a better experience around money. Um, So at the end of it, uh, the thing is how do we create the infrastructure that we need so that all of, of these new products and services uh, can work together and provide a more comprehensive access to financial services for the user. And I think that's why During the last year, we have seen uh, infrastructure become such a predominant issue, you know, uh, across like all webinars and panels in Latin America, you know, and everyone talking about open banking, APIs, uh, instant payments, uh, PIX, CODI, um, all of this, what it's trying to achieve at the end of the day is uh, to build a better infrastructure for any new player to jump into the space and provide this better experience uh, for the final user uh, whenever they have to just access one peso, one ri
0: <laughs> Excellent. Jack, let's come to you for a final point on this, and then we'll move on to challenges and opportunities.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to pick up on the point Jimena just, just touched on uh, around infrastructure. One of the things that I think has been a a massive trend, a hugely surprising in how quickly it has taken up. And, uh, and just something that, that, that we've gotten really excited about is on the infrastructure theme is real-time payments. And, and Jimena touched on PIX in Brazil, there's Spay in Mexico, these real-time peer-to-peer and increasingly, uh, p to m uh, payment systems have just grown like wildfire. And the The populations in Latin America tend to be young. They tend to be extraordinarily tech savvy. Um, They are big markets for all the big tech players. And I think we see a lot of these trends coming together with some of these real-time payments, given how penetrated smartphones are into the market. And I think we're really just beginning. I mean, the takeoff of PIX in Brazil, for example, has been phenomenal. I think exceeding pretty much everyone's expectations and, and what we've seen pretty much anywhere else in the world and how quickly it's been adopted, but it's still very, very early days. And I think one of the things that's really promising for the region, and, and Bruno touched on this, is the regulatory environment for the most part, in at least many of the countries, most of the countries, has really been fostering this innovation. PIX is a great example sponsored by Bassan by the Brazilian Central Bank. And it's just really become part of Brazilians daily life in less than less than 12 months.
0: So how how big a challenge is that? So, you know, unlike, let's say, Europe, where the European Union creates, you know, a certain amount of alignment between the different countries. Obviously, you know, Latin America, you've got some very diverse and disparate countries. The regulation is quite different. How challenging does that become? You know, when you're trying to operate across multiple countries, you're trying to d- deliver propositions to different countries. Do we, do we need to see more regulatory alignment? How do you, even, how do you get the regulators in different markets to, to work together? Bruno, I think you, you brought up a regulation in the first place. You got a thought here?
4: Yeah, uh, certainly it's not easy because uh, we have different approaches in different countries. I think that there there are some elements that are present in countries that have more maturity in terms of uh, how they evolved regulation. So we have Mexico and Brazil uh, in the forefront of that. uh, Colombia coming next, I would say. Um, But I I pretty much believe that we have here... um, you know, a long way to go uh, up until having this consolidation of uh, in a regional you know, way. I know that the IDB, the International Development Bank, they released recently a document proposing like a, a regional regulatory sandbox. So in some countries, we have this approach. In Brazil, we have like three different sandboxes. We have one for the central bank. We have one for the insurance regulator, which is called Suzette and another for our SEC or the capital markets regulator, which is CVM. So we have three regulatory sandboxes. So I pretty much believe that based on this paper by the IDB, that there will be like a possibility for uh, people to start and for regulators to start working in a possibility, a framework that would uh, make it possible for this interaction. But uh uh, up until there, I believe that we still have uh, you know different approaches and, um, and 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 that's not that easy to transpose like a business model to from place one place to another. But anyways.
0: Maurizio, the, the regulators have a tough job in, in pretty much every market um, and it, it's easy to sort of point to regulators in certain countries and say, oh, they're falling behind, they haven't done this, I haven't done that. Um, how do you think that regulators in Latin America are doing? Do you think they're, they're sort of keeping pace with, the, with the, the rate of innovation in fintech or are they starting to fall behind in, I don't know, areas like CDBCs or, or Bitcoin or um, how do you feel they're doing as a, as a group? Yeah, so I
1: I think I agree with Bruno in that regard. And I think one of the things that I believe that are driving the VC money towards incentivizing fintechs across not only LATAM but the you know the whole world is the easier the regulatory framework is for the innovation to happen, the more money gets attracted to that region. So geographies that are willing to actually foster innovation. Would have to work very tightly with the um, entrepreneur market to actually understand what they need for you know for them to foster innovation, and then a VC money will follow, right? I think the amount of money we've seen pouring in Brazil uh, from VC, both in crypto and non-crypto fintechs, in the last year or so, is directly related to the work that Bruno just described for the three major financial services regulators to make way for innovation with the sandboxes. I hadn't uh, seen the report, Bruno, from the the IBD, but knowing that there's an incentive from a a wider organization to actually push uh, a convergence on sandboxes for the region is a massive facilitator towards that goal. And if we are to achieve that, I think there's going to be a lot of bigger opportunities for entrepreneurs across the region to actually Put you know money to work in 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 that regard to facilitate the you know banking the unbanked as we were discussing, and I'm hoping to see that as well in the sort of a like crypto battleground, like geopolitical battleground. So the first country, a major country, to actually facilitate a regulatory crypto framework will definitely attract uh, a good chunk of the investment globally, and uh, I'm can't wait to see that happening.
0: I'd love to dive into a bit more into the customers and banking the unbanked, because to me, that's, you know, the whole purpose of fintech is to to help, you know, people across the continent uh, Im- improve their lives. It, you know, so the funding raised by fintech is fantastic, but is that starting to make a difference to people's everyday lives? Uh, I maybe I can come back to you. I mean, are you are you seeing that sort of on the ground? Are you seeing that fintech is actually making people's lives better and helping maybe the most vulnerable people in society? Or is it just helping, you know, so sort of middle class people who are already doing quite well and now, hey, things are a bit easier on a smartphone. Is it really making a difference to people?
3: Uh, I think that Jack perhaps can uh, talk a little bit more regarding this because it's uh, his field of expertise uh, but I definitely believe that uh, that there is you know uh, that you are starting that we are starting to see uh, a big chunk of the population being um, newly or recently bankarized and accessing new financial products uh, um, of course that in Brazil there's new bank in Mexico there's uh, a, perhaps a bigger mix in new banks and of course that they are all participating into this and addressing different customer segments and I think that at the same time there are different experience ac- experiences across the continent of fintechs providing uh, lending and providing access to uh, smaller communities, you know, and I'm talking perhaps of experience of Afiore in Colombia, you know, or um, lesser perhaps popular fintech companies but that are addressing uh, smaller communities. And I'm talking about uh, experiences of micro-lending in Peru, Ecuador, and Colombia. And I think that for for these particular communities these experiences are um, like a, a different... Uh, like have a substantial impact in their lives. Um, as I mentioned, uh, I think that, yes, there are uh, perhaps lesser uh, known brands, uh, but their impact is equally important. Jack, what do you think? Do you, do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I referenced this research we did two years ago uh, about about financial anxiety we were seeing in the market. The reason we charted that research was because, you know, we have not just as a matter of our mission, although certainly that, but also as a business imperative, uh, an explosive growth agenda that we are trying trying to drive. NewBank has grown in terms of number of customers, something like 13x in the last three, three and a half years. You don't get to have that growth if you're solely serving the Urban millennial middle class, which is where New Bank started and was our core focus for the for the initial first set of years, and so our growth has increasingly come deeper into segments of customers who have historically been unbanked or dramatically underbanked. Uh, for example, in in Brazil. So I'll give you an. I'll give you something, uh, an example of a product we have been uh, experimenting with and working on that we're really excited about, which is a credit card product for people who have never had credit before or who've had problems with credit before that allows them to not only have a credit card, which is very important and useful, particularly during COVID um, for buying online, for example, but also uh, is a product that can allow people to build up their credit or rebuild their credit and giving them a first a first step on the ladder uh, of, of access to credit and, and opportunity. The rates of, of bankerization in Mexico are, and don't quote me on the exact numbers, but they are dramatically uh, smaller than they are in, in Brazil, right? They're roughly half, depending on, on exactly what category and statistic you're looking at. And so, we expect that that, will, that phenomenon will happen, even though our share is is much much smaller in Mexico. You know, starting starting now, um, so we see we see these opportunities to provide services that have never been provided. To use the fact that our digital infrastructure is inherently a lot cheaper to do so profitably. So we're not doing this um, only as part of our mission, although it's certainly. Certainly, that to drive 100 million uh, fanatical users uh, across across Latin America, um, but it's also something we think we can do with the with a healthy P and L. Uh, and I think this is really the as you as you mentioned, Ben. This is the this is the promise of of fintech um, that the technology, the cost infrastructure, the customer orientation can open up new customers in a way that's not philanthropic. It is business-minded. And that's certainly a big part of our focus for the last couple of years and certainly for the next couple as well.
0: Thank you. Okay, we're just going to take a quick pause here, uh, back very shortly. Decoding is back. Our hit video series returns, and this time we're getting under the skin of banks. Over the course of 11 episodes, we're joined by key industry experts to ask, what are the challenges facing traditional banks in 2022? From payment rails to lending, we lay out the landscape before looking at the problems banks are facing today and what they can do about them. Watch now on the 11FS YouTube channel or at 11fs.com forward slash decoding. Fintech Meetup is the world's largest fintech meetings only event. That's right, no speakers or content, just 3,000 participants having 30,000 online meetings that lead to deals, partnerships, and funding. If you're a fintech, bank, investor, credit union, or anyone else working in this space, you need to join. Fintech Meetup takes place online March 22nd to 24th. Go to www.fintechmeetup.com to learn more and get your ticket. Okay. Okay. Let's move on from the present day and look at what's coming next in LATAM fintech. Um, I'm super interested in the crossover between fintech and, and crypto. Um, Maurizio, is, you know, as, a, as a Brazilian, uh, how do you see the worlds of crypto and fintech sort of coming together going forward? And are you seeing that in your, in your home country? Are you seeing that elsewhere? Is, is that going to be a big theme for Latin America, do you think?
1: I think there's a wealth of opportunity for the tokenization space being explored right now. Even bigger banks are starting to actually uh, make some investments in uh, smaller startups. Um, I know the case from Itaú investing through the, the Kinea Fund into Liki. Leaky is one of the youngest uh, tokenization companies in Brazil. They're doing a very interesting job at handling the new way of doing things with the existing regulatory framework. So that is a very important transition period, I would say. Uh, And hopefully that will also inspire uh, other regulators to actually uh, dive into this and understand the implications of tokenizing everything. I mean, everything could be tokenized, not everything needs to be tokenized. Um, I'm also seeing a lot of movement between um, sort of this hybrid between neobanks and uh, crypto exchanges. There are offerings emerging from, say, Argentina, where there's neo banks with coupled um, exchanges, where you can just decide which currency you're gonna have on your account, and maybe do some uh, DeFi staking on the side with part of your uh, payroll. So it's really interesting blend of things that are being explored in various uh, levels of scale, and also the merge. I think crypto facilitates a lot the blend between industries. So, say, tokenization is one that bridges financial services with other types of assets, such as real estate. Uh, we know that in Latin America, there's a, a great anxiety for banking, but also a great anxiety to have um, your own uh, house, right, to have your own home. So, uh, there's also opportunities for investing through crypto mechanisms to actually buy your first home. So, I think it will be an interesting blend of things between what we're seeing in financial services and how crypto can help bridge into other industries because it serves well the purpose of like self-liquidating assets because of the dynamics of the underlying blockchain. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see how these tokenization or tokenized markets are going to move forward. And hopefully we'll see not only big banks tap into this, but neobanks as well, because there's a lot of innovation there that speaks to the DNA of neobanks. And I'm very curious to see what the likes of course, uh, not to, to point fingers at it, uh, Jag. What New bank's going to do in the space? Uh, what other uh, smaller uh, neo banks are going to do? And of course, another battleground between fintechs, neo banks, and uh, incumbents is uh, interesting to
0: see. Jag, you, New Bank has a, a, a Bitcoin exchange traded fund. Is that
2: right? Yeah, that's right. We we've we've started experimenting with. Giving our consumers on the investing side an opportunity to have some exposure to to crypto assets, you know, a good initial step for us in terms of uh, giving our customers access to this this new world. Our, our sort of overall overall uh, perspective on this, and it's still it's still early days for us. Um, but but Maritza touched on it. Is this is this is certainly a potentially Disruptive technology, whether you're talking about crypto itself, uh, currencies in this form of currencies, or blockchain, or now what we're talking about in Web three, this is you know, uh, folks have talked about this as a is a new computing platform analogous to the mainframe era. We'll enter a Web three era, and at New Bank, we think of ourselves as a technology company first, financial services company uh, second. So we are always going to look at what the technology can do, but. But our mantra from, from the company's founding is what's the benefit for the consumer? What, what concretely gets better in their life by using whatever the new technology is? And so that's where I think, that's the phase I think we're in, is finding beyond a couple of the initial use cases, where is it, as Maurizio was touching on, where is it that the, the technologies that are emerging here? can concretely make someone's life better, whether they're in Guadalajara or Belo Horizonte or, or what have you. And um, and that, I think, is going to be a 10-year journey. I think we're sort of in the very, very, very early days of figuring figuring that stuff out. Some of the efforts were, that are underway are going to turn out to be hopelessly naive, um, and other efforts are going to be blockbuster, you know, game-changing things. And, and we can't really tell the difference just yet. So I think we're still... As an industry, working through
0: that. So thinking about long journeys, um, what about open banking? Um, We're obviously in the early stages
2: um, of of that,
0: and each country is at a different stage. You know, much like countries elsewhere in the world. Um, How important is open banking going to be to to the future success of sort of fintech in 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 Latin America? Um, Maybe, Jimena.
3: No, I think, of course, that it's uh, crucial. And I think that when we talk about open banking, uh, we are just talking about uh, opening the gates of one of the most important important players at this point of the financial sector. Uh, but actually, the question, you know, is about what can we do when we have a more open and connected financial sector, and that involves other players, you know. And I think that the same rules that we are trying to apply for um the, the financial and the banks uh, the financial players uh, should be uh, equally adopted for the the whole industry you know all the ecosystem uh, so I think it, it it's the we can't uh, um, replicate the dynamics that we have for banks in other verticals. So I think it's as desirable for the um, Itaús and Santander to, to open the gates as it is for New Bank or it is for Albo in Mexico or Fondeadora. You know, I think that at the um, uh, at the bottom line, what's important is the final user. So uh, I think that the user is the one that has to be empowered with the power of their data in order to uh, have better financial products and services. Um, So I think that of course it's early days in Latin America for open finance and open banking. We have regulatory frameworks in in place in Brazil who has adopted uh, this real fast. Um, In Mexico, this option has been perhaps slower uh, than in Brazil, but there is also a regulatory framework in place and then you have Chile eh, in, in the race and Colombia also for pushing for open banking, um, Peru and Uruguay uh, the central banks are studying the issue and making questions and trying to get familiarized. Uh, but I think that the important thing about this trend in the financial sector is how it puts like the user in the center of their financial experience, you know, and gives them the right to choose with whom they want to make businesses with, you know, and uh, to uh, be able to carry the power of their data and their money um, to any deal uh, that they want to make. And I think that's really, really powerful for any any financial user. Indeed. Thank
0: you. Bruno, what, what do you think? I mean, what do you see as the opportunities in Latin American fintech over the next uh, couple of years? And, and also, any sort of Advice for companies from outside the region, sort of looking to to move in. Um, where do you see the real opportunities in Latin America? Perfect,
4: nice. Uh, well, I think that the the, the aspect of infrastructure, as Shimena uh, said, and and I think I would I would add uh, open finance as a piece, a very important piece of of infrastructure. So it's just like an evolution. Uh, we have like. A, Prior competition, innovation, regulation that that allows fintech to, to, to flourish. That's the first one, and then we have like for open finance to work. We have a data protection rules, so which is a core piece of that as well, which is not directly linked to the financial service, but definitely it's something that uh, uh, got the consequences for the, the, this market. Uh, and then we have open finance. So I think we we are, we having we have like instant payments like PIX, and it all got mixed up together uh, to unlock possibilities. So that's one piece. And I think that many players that are coming and looking at the opportunity in in not only Brazil but in the in the region uh, can really uh, take advantage of mixing these different building blocks and trying to make something like new business models and things like that. So there's a lot of things to explore uh, on on the sense. Um, and, and there are already companies first in Latin America, I believe that every time they got a big check from a VC, they would say, OK, I want to see like a Latin American plan is not only something that it's niched on Mexico only or Colombia or Brazil only. So it's a plan to try to be present in all those different regions. Uh, and I, I would add also to everything that was said, like crypto, uh, like infrastructure pieces and all of that, I believe in some verticals that are, make a lot of sense for the region. Uh, for example, like agri uh, fintech, I believe that we have a lot of, of opportunities to, to advance in the space and there are some deals happening in Brazil and in, in Argentina, for example. So uh, I would add that. And I would add also uh, the beyond banking uh, trend, which I, I pretty much believe that players like Nubank are going to capitalize on that. They got a strong brand and they, I, I believe other players like Inter in Brazil, they are much more focused, not on be perceived, perceived as a bank only, but as a platform that can solve many of the different uh, problems that a person had in, in, in their life. So I, I see like many players uh, uh, aggregating other services like marketplaces and other that would go beyond banking um and even incumbents doing so so i i would
0: also add this uh, another piece to 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 the trends here fantastic thank you unfortunately that's pretty much all our All our time gone, which is a shame because I was going to ask you about El Salvador's decision to make Bitcoin legal tender and figure out whether that was a helpful decision or not. However, we don't have time to do that. So let's wrap up. Um, Thank you all so much for joining me. This has been a fantastic discussion. I feel we've been a bit biased toward Brazil, but um, (laughs) you can fight that out on the football field. Um, So, where can people um, find out more about you and uh, your companies? Uh, Let's start. Ladies first, please.
3: Of course, uh in our website, Prometeoapi.com. Uh there isn't an English more English way to uh, express that. Uh, and of course in Twitter, Prometeo Open Banking, LinkedIn and Instagram in all our channels. Uh so hopefully you will get more involved in our journey. Jack. Uh
2: you know, similar. We are active on, on sort of all the major social channels from, from LinkedIn to Instagram to Twitter uh etc um and of course newbank.com.br uh is is our website um probably the best places to to get the the basic introduction
0: uh,
4: bruno well i'm pretty active on on linkedin um and 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 also instagram other networks in twitter uh so it's just like uh for for those like instagram and um and Twitter is Bruno e V Geniz. so and that's that's how you found me and if you and if you type like Bruno Gennis and FinTech or something like that I think I'm, I'm going to be the only one thats going to show on the <laughs> on the search but that's that's how you can find more about myself and my uh, companies and, and things like that.
0: And Maurizio.
4: So you can find us at
1: 11fS.com of course. Uh, I'm on Twitter at BlockDropsPod. And also, I'm on Instagram at Blockdrops podcast. Happy to hear from you in all of these channels. And also, I'm also uh, on the LinkedIn where I run into Bruno all the
0: time. <laughs> and you can find me Benjamin Enso on LinkedIn as well and at 11 fscom So. Thank you all very much for listening. Uh, If you like what you've heard, uh, please subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to leave us a review because it really helps us make uh, these shows better and uh, understand what else you want to hear about. So if you want to join the conversation, uh, please find us on social media, search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcasts at 11fs.com. Thank you very much. Goodbye and have a great day.